We're in a series called Till Death Do Us Part, and today we are in our third part today. And uh, our prayer for this series is really just so you can have life-giving relationships. We want to teach you principles, teach you God's word on what does it look like to have great relationships. Whether you're single, come on, how many single people I got in the house? Single people? Come on, all the single people. Look, look, look around because there's some guys scouting right now. All right, guys are scouting, all right? Single people, all right? Married people, come on, married people. How many married people in the house? Yeah, they're not as excited. What's on? All right. Come on. And so no matter if you're divorced or engaged or whatever it is, these, uh, these principles hopefully are going to help you in all relationships. And so that's our prayer today. And I just want to tell you the principles that we're going to be sharing, especially the ones that I'm going to be sharing today, go totally against culture. They go against everything that you've probably heard. And so you're going to probably want to kick against it. And I'm just telling you right now, um, it's okay for, you're, you're probably not going to agree with it, but that's okay. You can be wrong. And, um, and so we're going to be looking at Love in Motion. Love in Motion is the title of today's message. And I'm going to tell you, if, you, if you'll commit to put these things in practice, you're going to see some amazing results. So we're going to begin today with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, the chapter that you probably have heard countless times at every wedding that you have gone to, but today I hopefully will present it in such a way that you'll see it with fresh new eyes. So let's put 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you got some notes, wave some notes at me just so I can see them. All right, good deal. We are a note-taking church, so we'd love for you to take some notes. Definitely grab a binder in the back if you haven't grabbed one yet. But uh, let's do uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here we go, starting in verse 4. It says, love is, everybody help me out with this. Love is, love is, Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps, what's this? No record. Yeah, yeah, trilling off a little bit there. <laughs> no, I'm wrong. Okay. All right, ready? It keeps no record of being wrong. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It always is hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Now, now watch this. You, most of us know this part of 1 Corinthians 13, and you probably know the verse that I'm about to say, but I bet you didn't realize that they were together. If you skip down a couple verses in verse 11, go to verse 11, it says this, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I even reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, or a woman, however that works, but when I became a man, I what? I gave up what? Childish ways. All right, don't nudge your husband right now. Okay, so when I became a man, I put away childish ways. Man, have you ever noticed why in the world would they connect those two together? The love chapter and then a command to put away childish things. Could it be that maybe the way we view love is childish? And God is calling us to become an adult when it comes to what love really looks like. So that's where we're going to go today. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, we love you. God, we're just so thankful for all that you're doing in this house. Thank you for every single person that is here, God. I believe you've got a word for them, and I pray, God, that you would speak to their hearts. God, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, do what only you can do today, and we give you all of the praise. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. How many of you remember your elementary days growing up, growing up? Any, anybody? Y'all remember those days growing up? I, I, am a, I am a byproduct of the child of the 80s. Do I got any 80s people in the house? Who, who went through the 80s? Maybe not in junior high or middle school or all that. You went through the 80s. How many of you were in the 70s? Your elementary years were in the 70s. Raise your hand. 70s. 60s. 60s. Woo! Come on now. 50s and beyond. Yeah. Come on. Awesome. How about 90s? Got any 90s? 2000s, 
right now. Okay, some of you. I'm an 80s child. I'm an, I'm an 80s child. It's the way that, that I grew up. I love the 80s. How many of you love the 80s? Love the 80s music, love the 80s movies. I love the 80s. How many know in the 80s, as growing up, we didn't have iPads? We didn't have iPads growing up. You know what we had growing up when we were in the 80s? Look at this. How many remember this right here? This is what we had right here. How many all remember this right here? An Etch-A-Sketch. That was the iPad of the 80s. You wanted to have entertainment, hours of fun. This is it. You give a kid this right now, he'd be like, the buttons don't work. I don't know what's going on. You got to twist it and you got to try to make it, you know. I mean, no, you couldn't make anything. You couldn't make squat with that thing, but you were trying. You were, you were doing everything you could. And during the 80s growing up and, and back, back in the 80s and then going into the early 90s and elementary grade, man, my, my, it was hard work. They, they made you work. My parents, I don't know about you, how many of you, your parents made you work? I mean, you had to work. Nowadays, everybody, all the kids got fidget spinners and all this stuff. You know what my fidget spinner looked like? This is what my fidget spinner looked like. It looked like this. <laughs> Who had one of these fidget spinners? This is what right here. My dad's like, you want to go fidget? Go spin that grass over there. Right? You can go fidget that. And I mean, it was dangerous in the 80s. It was so dangerous in the 80s. Even in the early 90s, it was so dangerous. Y'all remember going to McDonald's? Y'all remember the playground at McDonald's? This thing was dangerous. Y'all remember this thing? All metal. That thing's all metal. All that is metal. You would put your kids in that just so you could eat lunch by yourself for a little bit. Lock them in the Hamburglar. You're going in there. You win that thing. And then if you had some fun there and you want to have some extra fun, you go to the park and you would ride one of these. How many remember one of these right here? And how many know you dare not go on this thing when it's 103 outside because you, you're sliding down that slide and all your skin is on that slide just as you're going. Third degree burns all on the back of you. It's dangerous. I don't know what, what people were thinking in that time. My parents had a station wagon. How many remember the station wagon? Y'all remember that? You remember that straight? The station wagon. How many remember this right? That's, that's so dangerous. And they would put the kids in the back seat. And as people were driving, you could, I remember as a kid looking at people, waving as people were driving. And then how many remember when, when, it got, when it was hot in the car and your parents said, I need you to roll the window down. You actually had to roll the window down. Nowadays, you tell the kid, and they're like, you're like, you don't know what rolled a window down until you got one of these. these how many remember this? this is not, and I think about, man, how did I survive? How in the world did I survive the 80s? How did I, I'm going to tell you how I survived. This is how I survived the 80s right here. This is it. Watch this. We got it? That's how I survived the 80s. <laughs> Flintstone vitamins. Come on, how many of y'all know? That's how you survived the 80s right there. Your mom is like, hey, did you eat your Flintstone? You're like, I ate seven. Mom, I'm good. 95% of them were sugar with 5% vitamin C in that thing. But I mean, you know, during the 80s and the 90s, man, especially elementary, junior high days, there wasn't Snapchat, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't text messages. You couldn't send a little heart emoji if you got a little crush on a girl. You had to have game. How many of y'all remember these right here? Texting in the 80s was love notes. How many of y'all remember this right here? And you like, it's like an origami. It was like an act of Congress to try to fold this thing and you put it together and, you know, you send it off. Girl, I've been watching you, girl, ever since pre-K. <laughs> I know we're in third grade now, but I want to go on a date. Don't even know what that is, but I want to go on, I want to date you. And then what'd you do? Check. Check. Yes or no. Yeah, y'all know. Check yes or no. Check yes or no. And you slide it to your friend, man. Hit that up. Get it, get it, go. 
you know, and then she would come back. You wouldn't dare put a maybe in that box. <laughs> maybe, no, you don't do that. Yes or no. And then you would, you would just wait in anticipation until you got this folded up letter back to see what the answer would be. That was, that was old school. That was an old school game. Now there's technology and so many other ways. But back then, you had to have some game. You had to, you had to figure out how to, how to woo a girl. And, and love back in those days was so much different than it is nowadays. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that when I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And, you know, a lot of people, honestly, I think, have a hard time in relationships because they still have childish ways in which they relate to love. Their love has is, is, is been wrapped into a myth of fairy tales. They've watched way too many Disney movies and Hollywood movies. And, you know, can Anna just figure out, is it Kristoff or is it Hans? Which one is it? And if I can just marry the right one or... You know, if I just get the mermaid tail off of me and grow some legs and have the man of my dreams, then we'll live forever, happily ever after. But how many know the truth is, is that there is no just happily ever after without work. It takes work. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what kind of work it is, but for us to understand love, love is one of the most important words, but it's one of the most overused words in our day and age. I mean, we love our kids, we love our wife, we love... Our, our dog, we love fajitas, I love Dr. Pepper, we love our church, you love your pastor. I'm, okay, all right. I'll, I'll pay you later. Um, so, <laughs> but we use this word all over the place. But I think love has honestly lost its meaning. We need to go back and redefine, or actually not redefine, we need to find the definition of what love is. Because here's the deal, definition brings direction. If you got the wrong definition, you'll get the wrong direction. And there's a lot of people right now that are facing hardships through their relationship and, and love, and it's because they bought into the wrong definition of love. So if you got your notes, I want to start with this very first thing. We got to start with the core. We got to start with the source, and that is that God is love. God is love. I'm going to teach you a verse real quick. You're going to, memor you're going to memorize this. This is, this is your memory verse for the day, maybe even for the week, right here. John, 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Everybody say that with me. God is love. God is, love. God is the source of love. God, isn't, God doesn't just love. He is love. And if you want to understand what love is, you need to go back to the source that God is love. Now, I want to show you something here because this is kind of a love chart. You know, a lot of people, when they, when they fall, when they say, I fell into love, this is what they're saying. I, emotionally, I'm feeling love. I feel love for them. And, and unfortunately, now in our day, it, it, most people's love is just these top two brackets. They feel in love, and then they make love. They feel in love and make love. That's all that they do. It's just this loving feeling, and it's just physical attraction. The problem is you can't build on that. It's It's shaky. The, the truth is of how love's actually designed to be is it's actually supposed to start spiritual. God is love. He is the foundation of love. If you want to understand love, you've got to go to God. God is the creator of love. He is love. As we now understand we receive love from God, now as I get into a relationship with somebody, I build the relationship, I build friendship, then it moves into now I have an emotional feeling of love, then eventually after you're married, talk about that next week, then it's the physical winky face, <laughs> yeah, so we can't go there though until we've built it this way. So if you wanna understand love, we gotta go back to the source. 
we got to lay down the foundation of what real love looks like first. So I want us to write this down. To be in love, you need emotion, but to stay in love, you need motion. I'll explain it. To be in love, you need emotion. That's all you need. What does it take to fall in love? A pulse. It's got to feel. But to stay in love, to have a love that lasts, to be able to say, till death do us part, it's going to take some motion. Watch what, watch what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, this is what Paul says. He says, for husbands, this means love your wives. Now watch how he's going to describe how you love your wife. Notice he says, it's, love is a verb. It's not a feeling. Like, I feel love. I'm in love. It's not, a, it's not a noun. It's a verb. This is how you're going to love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church, he, now here's, here's love, he gave up his life for her. See, you, you say, man, I, we've lost that love and feeling. Man, nobody watched Top Gun up in here? Okay, all right, so. If you've lost that love and feeling, I'm going to tell you why you've lost it. It's because you've lost your loving ways. See, here's the deal. When love is in motion, when we put love in motion and we start acting in love, we'll start feeling love. When you stop acting love, you stop feeling love. Love's got to be in motion. you got to put it into practice. This is what he says. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave his life up for her. Notice that Paul didn't command him to feel love. He commanded him to do love. So I'm going to tell you right now, in your relationship, if you're not feeling love, I can almost guarantee you it's probably because you're not doing love. So let's explain what doing love looks like. First one, let's, let's, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is patient. All right, let's define patience. Here's a definition, a working definition that will help you with patience. Patience is the ability to accept delay, suffering, and annoyance, here's the key, without what? Complaint or becoming? Yeah. Nobody likes this definition. All right. Patience is the ability to accept delay. Any of y'all had to wait on your spouse today to come to church? Okay, don't raise your hand. All right. So, delay. When, when you expect something and you want something and it doesn't happen in the time frame that you want it to or how you want it to go. Suffering. How I many you know in marriage or in just relationships in general, you're going to go through suffering. You're going to go through hardships and hard times in your marriage. So you got to have the ability to accept it. And annoyance. How I many you know your spouse can be annoying? How I many you know that? Don't raise your hand. Don't do that. No, <laughs> I set you up, all right? Yes. No, don't, don't aim in that one. Okay. Annoyance. That they can become annoying. That the things that you used to love about them, you're like, oh, would he just stop chewing like that? Would he just stop doing that? There's an annoyance that comes, and, and patience is the ability to accept these things without <laughs> complaint or becoming angry. What happens when things don't go the way that you expect them to go. You know, when Lindsay and I first got married, <laughs> one of the things that uh, I soon realized is that she couldn't cook. She didn't know how to cook. And her mom actually told me, like, she just doesn't, she's not going to know how to cook. And so she, um, so, so she's like, I want to start cooking some of the things that your mom cooked and all that stuff. So she's like, what is something that you would like? And I said, man, I would love, 
I used to love my mom's chicken and dumplings. Any chicken and dumplings people in here? I used to love chicken and dumplings. So she's like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to call your mom. I'm going to get the recipe. We're going to eat some chicken and dumplings. So she did. She called my mom, stewed in the kitchen for hours, putting in the chicken and the dumplings and doing all that. And so we sit down and she's like, all right. So we go and she puts it in my bowl. And first thing I'm thinking is, what is this? Um, don't look like mama. <laughs> don't say that though. And then, and then the second thing is, okay, so now we're going to eat. So we go to eat and we both spit it out after we eat it because it tasted like burnt cigarettes. <laughs> and this is no lie. She had burned the entire bottom of it. And so now she's dumping all of it into the trash can crying <laughs> because we ate pizza that night. Um, <laughs> But can I testify of the Lord's goodness? She is now, she is now an amazing cook, by the way. She's, come on, the Lord is good. I, I had to be patient. Just want to let you know. But she is amazing in it now. But there's, there's an expectation of what you have, and then it doesn't kind of work out the way that you want it, and there's a delay. Watch what, watch what God's word says. Look at Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, this is, what, this is what Paul says. He says, be what? Be patient with each other. Because he knows that you're going to have your patience pushed. You're not going to want to be patient. So he tells you, be patient with each other. Now watch this. Now make allowance. Now real quick in here, how many of you growing up, you got an allowance? Like you got an allowance, raise your hand. One of y'all. <laughs> right. How many of y'all did not get an allowance growing up? Yeah, I asked my dad. I remember one time I asked my dad for allowance. Dad, can I get allowance? Guys in my class, I got allowance. He said, yeah, I'll give you allowance. I'm going to allow you to stay in my house. I'm going to allow you to eat my food. I'm going to allow you. Come on, how many of you with on that one? All right. I'll give you an allowance. This is what he's actually saying, though. You need to make an allowance, meaning that you need to know that there's going to come a time for each other's faults. Someone's going to have a fault against you. Your, your wife's going to say something stupid, or you're going to do something stupid, and it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen, and you need to learn to not only be patient with each other, but you got to make allowances. You got, you got to get up in the morning and go, he's going to say something stupid today. He's just going to do something, so I'm going to just go ahead and make an allowance. He gets, he gets one negative 10 points for that, but it's okay. I've got the point system. I heard some guys are doing dishes this last couple of weeks. Good job, guys. 100 points from me. Uh, those, don't, those don't matter, though. Don't matter. <laughs> Allowance for each other's faults. Now watch this. Now here's why we are patient. Here's, how we make, here's why we make allowance. Because of your what? Because of your love. Because of your love. So here's the question. How do you respond when things don't go your way? Let me, let me put it another way. Maybe that, you, that can help you. Impatience is the fruit of selfishness. The reason why you're so angry and so irritated is because it's not going the way you want it. She's not doing what you want. He's not responding the way that you like. And impatience is the fruit of selfishness. When you get irritated, listen, you've got to go back to the source. You've got to go back to the source. And I've learned this, man. If I've got an issue with Lindsay, I better go to God before I go to her. And here's what happens, by the way, when I go to God. When I go to God and go, God, I can't believe she's doing this. You know what he does? When I bring the speck that's in her eye to God, he shows the log in mine. So I'm going, God, you need to fix her attitude. And God, and he comes to me and he's like, well, what about yours? We're not talking about me right now. I'm talking about her. <laughs> right? But what we do is we go to our spouse first instead of going back to the source. We need to go back to the source. We need to go back to the source. God is patient. God is patient. God is patient. Which, by the way, how patient has God been with you when you were at fault? Come on, somebody. 
We don't want to talk about that one. How patient has he been with you when you were in your sin? How patient was, you, was he with you whenever you couldn't get your act together? Come on, how many know God's been really patient with us? So the same patience that God has given us, we extend to those. Number two, love is kind. Love is kind. Kindness, here, let me give you a working definition of kindness. Kindness is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. Now watch, that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. How many know it's easy to be kind to people who are kind to you? How many know it's hard to be kind to people who are not kind to you? Why? Because we like to give people what they deserve. So you're going to get what you deserve. You're not kind to me? It's coming for you. Kindness, though, God's kindness is a willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation and does not require that they deserve that kindness. That's a totally different level of kindness. Let me show you. This is what God is. Look, look what it says in Romans chapter 2. This is in the message translation. It says, God is, everybody say it with me. Kind. He's kind. He's kind. God's kind. But he's not so, by the way, we'll talk about this in a minute. You can be kind and not soft. In his kindness, now watch this. When God's so kind to us, he takes us firmly by the hand and he leads us into a radical life change. How many you know, the, 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 if you go and read in another version, it says, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It is the kindness of God that draws us back to himself. This is what he's saying. God is so kind that his kindness pulls you to him, not pushes you away from him. So we look at that in our relationships. What is our kindness? Does our kindness pull people to us? Love doesn't give the person what they deserve. It gives them what they need. And maybe when they least deserve it is when they need it the most. Come on, somebody. How many know when they least deserve kindness is when they need it the most? So one area, I'm just going to give you one area. There's many areas, but I only got time enough for one. One area we need to work on being kind in is that is with our words. With our words. Now, I want you, want you to follow along with me. What makes a great marriage? Ready? Words. Let me tell you what makes a bad marriage. Ready? Words. What, what gets you married? Words. What gets you divorced? Words. Words. Think about your relationships and the ones that are good and the ones that are bad. The ones that are good probably have good words. And the ones that are bad probably have rough words. So we did this survey. Hundreds of y'all have filled out our survey for this series. One of the questions that we asked in the marriage section, for those that are married that filled it out, was have you ever threatened divorce in your marriage? Now watch this. 53% of you said yes, meaning that you've, you've said, if you don't stop that, I'm going to divorce you. And we've said these things not realizing that the words that we've said have infiltrated that person's heart. The words that you say, the Proverbs would say they either give life or they give death. There is power in our tongue. Ephesians chapter 5 would put it another way, just practically for us as husbands. Wives, you can listen to this too. In, in Ephesians 5, there's about this big of, of what the wife is to do, and there's about this much scripture for what the husband's to do. And, no, woo. <laughs> no, it should be, ooh. I mean, that's what it should be. <laughs> but it is. You know why? Because God calls a husband to a higher standard, by the way. 
But he says, husbands, now watch this. Husbands, you might want to highlight this, underline this. This is in the message translation, but it's such a good one. It says, husbands, you need to go all out in your love. Go all out. Now watch this. Go all out for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. Well, how did Christ did that for us? It was a love marked by giving, not getting. He was more consumed with what he could give than what he could get. Now watch. Here's the big part. His, what's his word? Word. (laughs) The word is words. His words evoke her beauty. What he says over her makes her more beautiful. Now, everything that he does and says is designed to bring out the best in her. That men, you and I have the power with the things that we say to make our wives even more beautiful. Which tells me that if your wife is always downcast and is always depressed and always, it may be because of what you're saying over her. The Bible would put it in this verse in a different translation that we wash them by the water of the word. That we have to be careful that as men, the things that come out of our mouth in any relationship, by the way, this is all relationships. This isn't just in a a husband and wife uh, marriage, but this is in our friendships this is in with our coworkers. This is with our neighbors. This is with all those around that we watch the things that come out of our mouth and we need to be careful as men and as women with words. You know, when Lindsay comes up to me and says, hey, baby, see anything different? First off, men, that's a trap. <laughs> just want to let you know that's a trap. Okay, so when she looks at you and she says that, so Ladies, just want to let you know, when that happens, this is what's going on in a men's Rolodex. He's going through the data. You know, he starts from the head and he goes down. Okay, her hair, she cut her hair. Is that a different color? I don't know. She changed the color kind of often. Is it a different color? Okay, is that, is that, is that new lipstick? Is that new, new uh, I think that's the same lipstick. Is that, that new one there? And she's going, you know, the guy's going down. Okay, is that a new dress? Is that a new shirt? I don't know. She's got new dresses here and there. I mean, that might be a new shirt. I'm, and is that new shoes? Are those black shoes? I don't know. She's got like 24 pairs of black shoes. That could be new shoes. I don't know. I'm not sure. If, come on, man. Any man in here represent? So I'm going to, hey, listen, I'm going to teach you how to get out the trap, okay? Here's how you get out the trap. Ready? So she says, hey, you see anything different? This is what you say. Ready? Girl, you losing weight? That's one. <laughs> losing weight? You're out. You're out. She'd be like, no, I just got new lipstick, but thank you anyways. I appreciate that. <laughs> trying to help some marriages here, you know, and just trying to do my part. <laughs> Survey said... How do you feel most loved? Here's your answers. 58% of you said words of affirmation. I would bet probably the majority of this is women, but I bet there's some men in this too. That the way that you receive love is when you hear words of affirmation. You are amazing. I love you. Thank you for what you do. Romans 11 verse 22 says, notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. Let me, let me just kind of change his words to just kind of help. He's tender and tough. I mean, you know, kindness needs to be tender, but there's times that kindness also needs to be tough. How many of you here have kids? I mean, sometimes you can be tender, and sometimes you got to be tough. It's called, what is it called? Tough, tough love. Here's the problem, though. Listen to me very closely. The problem is when all you do is you go to tough. 
and you're never tender. And there's some relationships, and I'll speak just to men because I can do that, that are top down. You do what I say. This is what I want. You will not, you don't make decisions. I make decisions and I decide. And you're tough. When they don't work out the way that you want it, you let them know. You're tough. You're tough. And to the women in here, the Bible says, you know what the Bible talks about with a nagging wife? Go look in Proverbs. It said it's like a dripping faucet. Blip, 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 blip. And that the husband would rather live on the roof of the house. You know, sometimes, you know, in some, some places, they actually do torture with the dripping in, in other countries. That maybe instead of you just being tough and nagging, I, I, man, I, you don't listen to me and I got to say it two or three times. Okay, okay, listen, first off, you do usually have to say it a couple times for guys anyways. You know, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know why he said that? The first rejoice the women got. The second rejoice the guys got. Okay, all right, I got that. But listen, instead of just being, why don't you do this? Why don't you, why don't you just be tender? Baby, I love you. I, I, listen, you're, you're such a great provider. Could you please take out the trash for me? He ain't listening again. Hey, baby, remember? Hey, you're, man, you're so sexy. You're so sexy. Just want to let you know. You know what would make you even sexier? If you took out the trash. Sometimes you got to be tough, though. Sometimes you do. Sometimes tender doesn't work. But we've got to start there. We've got to start with tender before we go to tough. Listen, uh, I wrote this down. Your marriage will never rise above the level of your mouth. Your marriage will never rise above the level of your mouth. If you lost that loving feeling, you better start acting in loving ways. And it begins here. We got to go back. God is love. God is love. God is love. God is patient. God is patient. God is kind. Let's replace that. Let's put your name in the place of love. Josh is patient. Josh is kind. Sounds a little different. It's my prayer. I hope it's happening more and more. That's my prayer for you. Number three, I think this is a huge one. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of being wronged. You know, all throughout our culture, we keep records. Government keeps records. Your schools keep records of your, of your kids. You can't transfer to another school without getting their records. You go to the doctor's office, they got records for you. Your phone's got records. Your, your, online, your computer's got records of everywhere you've been online. If you got a phone, they're tracking you. They know everywhere you've been. They got records of you. Uh, I mean, everywhere you go, the bank's got records. The doctor's got records. The IRS has got records. Some of you, got, some of you even have a record, all right? So... <laughs> But I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to win in relationships, listen to me very closely. If you want to win in relationships, you got to learn to delete the history. Amen. you got to learn to delete the history. I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to have a great relationship, just get ready to get hurt. I know your Prince Charming ain't supposed to do that. But stop watching the fairy tale movies and realize that you're both sinners you're both going to say stupid stuff at times. You're both going to do stupid things that are going to warrant forgiveness. And if you stay in a place of unforgiveness, listen to me very closely. If you, bit, if you stay bitter, resentful, 
and you will not extend forgiveness, whether this to your spouse for something they've done in the past, a child, family member, anybody, whoever, you will stay in prison, not them. And every time you go to Piggly Wiggly, you see them down that aisle, and you're like, I can't go down that aisle. You know why? Because it's something that you haven't released in your own heart. The Bible says that we are to forgive. Jesus would even go as far as to say you should, you should forgive 70 times 7. Now, I don't think he was actually saying that you're supposed to count 490 times because if that was the truth, then he wouldn't say that you can't keep a record of wrong because you'd be keeping record. I think what he was saying was is that every day you're going to have to wake up and say, today I choose to forgive. Today I release this. Today I, I'm going to make an allowance. Somebody going to be stupid today. I'm just making allowance. I'm just making, somebody going to probably cut me off. Boss is going to be crazy. I'm just going to go ahead and make an allowance. I'm going to go ahead and forgive. Ephesians gives us the ingredients of how to do that. Ephesians chapter 4, listen to me very closely, says this, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger. And, and what's the next one? Y'all see it? And slander. Which, by the way, all of these are manifested in what you say. As well as all types of evil behavior. And then he says this, but instead, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted. Remember, we've got to be tough and tender, but you need to be tender-hearted. Now, here's the, here's the big one. Forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, listen to me very closely. Not only will you pay for it, but all those around you will pay for it. And here's why I know that. Because unforgiveness doesn't stay where it starts. Wherever it starts, it's like cancer. It spreads. It spreads everywhere. And it starts destroying and killing every relationship around you. Listen, because when you forgive and you let it go, and then you, the Bible would say that you, you release those things and it's like heaping coals of fire on their head. You've, you've, you've let it all go. Next time you're in Piggly Wiggly and you see them down the road, you know, down the row, you're going to stroll up in there. Hey, what's up? And they're going to look at you and you'll be fine because you're free. You're all good. You've released that. You're not holding on to that. Y'all with me here? You're not in prison anymore. You've let that go. You, and listen, in marriage, you got to do that Every day. Gary Thomas, who's a guy who wrote tons of, of, of books on marriage, says this. Couples don't fall out of love. They fall out of forgiveness. Amen. The people who, I've got to get a divorce. I want out of this thing. You know why? It's just because they stopped forgiving each other. And you know why they stopped forgiving each other? Because they forgot how much God has forgiven them. How much has God forgiven you? Does he forgive you every day? Some of y'all came in today going, God, please forgive me this week, man. I blew up. And do you want God's forgiveness? Yes. The Bible says you are to forgive others just as God has forgiven you. Listen, God doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he's good. Listen, we're, we're going we're gonna to take off the, the elementary love notes. We're going to get rid of those. We're going to grow up, become a man or a woman, and understand what real love is. Love in motion, not emotional-based, 
but motion-based. I'm going to start doing the works of love, and then I believe that as I, as I make the choices to lead in love, the feelings will follow. The feelings will follow. Love is patient. God is patient. Josh is patient. You are patient. Love is kind. God is kind. You are kind. Love does not keep records of wrong. Let the past be the past. Don't continue to live in it because you'll be the only one that is held in bondage to that. How did Jesus love you? Romans chapter five, verse eight. God loved us so much that even yet while we were still sinners, he died for us. He went first. God goes first. So listen, in your relationship, someone's gotta go first. Well, who goes first, husband or wife? Yes. Well, which one? Yes. Either one. Someone's got to go first. Today, probably the way that you should respond to this message is maybe not just getting things right with God. Maybe you need to go and get things right with someone. And that's going to be the real test of if you're hearing from God today is as God is doing something in your heart, maybe you need to go home to your spouse and say, the words that I've said have not drawn you to me. They've pushed you away, and I realize that. I've been tough, but I haven't been tender. Or I've, hey, I've held on to some unforgiveness towards you because of something that you've done in the past, and I just I want to tell you I'm sorry, and I, I forgive you. Now, it doesn't mean you have to trust them again. Trust takes time. It takes some time. I understand that. But God wants to do a deep work in you but, so he can do a deep work in them. Amen? I want you to bow your heads in this place. If you are in here, I mean, you know, just God's just, he's... He's showing you some things right now. He's revealing some areas. And maybe, maybe this isn't if you're married, maybe even if you're not married, but you've just had an issue with your anger. You've just been irritable. You haven't been patient. You've been impatient. Maybe you've, you've, maybe you've said some things that, man, you just know that, that didn't build them up and that did not honor God. And I, I, need, I need some help. Or maybe if you're in here and you're like, Pastor Josh, listen, I've been hurt my husband, my wife, my friend, maybe my mom, my dad, they've, they've hurt me and I, I know I'm holding on to unforgiveness. I know it. If that's you in this place, I want to I pray for you. On the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up. Nobody look around. This is just a moment with you and the Lord right here. If that's you, one, two, three, if that's you. Man, hands going up all over the place. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put them down. You can put them down. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, for every single person that's in this room. God, I pray, Lord, that, that there wouldn't just be a conviction in this area, but God, I pray, Lord, that you would move us to action. The only way we can do that, though, is when we go back to the source. God, your love, you have loved us. You're patient. You've been patient with us. God, you're forgiving. You have forgiven us. So God, how dare we hold from other people what you don't hold from us? God, today we love you. We thank you for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. Help us today. God, not only would you forgive us, but God, would you help us maybe today, maybe this week to be bold enough to go to those that we've hurt. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend or family. God, just to be bold enough to say, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. 
God, today I pray that you would restore, strengthen, and heal relationships in this place. In Jesus' name. With your head still bowed, I want to ask the most important question of all. And that is, are you born again? Listen, you can't love someone until you understand love. And you can't understand love until you have a relationship with Jesus. The Bible would say it's as simple as ABC. We admit that we are sinners. We admit that we have fallen and we have failed. That none of our good deeds are good enough to make us right. That we be, we believe that Jesus came and he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died. He took our sin on himself and he paid the ultimate ransom for us. And then see, we confess that Jesus is Lord of our life. If you're here in this place and you say, man, I want to have that relationship with God. I want to give him my heart. I want to give him my life. If that's you, on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up. Come on, be bold. One, two, three. If that's you, that's you. Thank you. One, two, three. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Now, can we just all pray this together? Everybody, let's just pray this out loud. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believed you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to face it myself. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a relationship with your Father, and a purpose on earth. Today I turn away from my sins. I repent. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.